Welcome to the Abstract Veterans Podcast. Today, Char Gatlin and Kevin Sickinger speak with Shannon Miles. For more information, please visit limbic-cenc.org. Visit the Abstract Athlete for more information and news. The Abstract Veterans Podcast with Char Gatlin and Kevin Sickinger. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Abstract or the Abstract Veteran Series with your co-host, uh, Dr. Char Gatlin and Lieutenant Colonel Retired Kevin Sickinger, where we bring folks on, we talk about science, and we try to make it understandable and fun. And sometimes that's a, that's a tough one to do, but I think we we move forward and we do a do a decent job on that. Um, interesting segue. We haven't done this before. So our last guest on our last show. Uh, Miss Karen, and I and I hope I get this right. I went back and forth with her a couple different times. Grazanole, uh, excellent interview. And it's really interesting to see, you know, the caregiver component, especially what uh, what she brings to the table. But she left an unanswered question out there and we didn't have time to answer it on the last show. And that question had to do with anger, you know, anger from you know, not only the caregiver, but the veteran and maybe, you know, different experiences associated with that. So this week, we have a, another very special guest, Dr. Shannon Miles, out of the, is it the James Haley VA, is that correct, down there That's in Tampa, correct. Florida? That's uh, correct. Dr. Miles has agreed to, to come on to our show. I don't know why. It's a, this, we, it's a, we, we, we have a weird one and a good one, but we always have a good time. Um, so with that, Dr. Miles' background uh, is in anger, and it's kind of interesting. We're going to ask her some questions and kind of see, see her perspective on it, and maybe we can segue in from the last episode into this one and to answer the uh the unanswered question for lack of a better term uh anger so dr miles welcome to the show um or to the podcast tell us a little bit about yourself uh where you're from and kind of what you do absolutely thank you so much for having me and i'm a clinical psychologist down here in tampa florida my primarily and my job primarily um, consists of providing psychotherapy for active duty service members here at SOCOM and then also conducting research with um, people with mild traumatic brain injury and comorbidities such as post-traumatic stress disorder or PTSD. So I was really excited when you guys wanted to talk about anger because it is so common in our veterans and service members and it's often misunderstood and it's kind of difficult to treat. So it's an important topic that um, affects a lot of people, not only the service member or the veteran, I'm going to use those terms interchangeably, but it also affects their family members, their communities, how they do at their job. So it's it's far reaching and very important. Well, I noticed the Auburn University diploma. On the War back. Eagle. Yeah, speaking of anger, they seem to be a little angry down there these days as they just fired their football coach. Uh, um, so we do that a lot. Uh, we, we quick, quick segue on this. We're, we're going to have a quick segue. So I am in, in Montana, but I'm the only one in my family that didn't go to Auburn or Alabama. Both oh. my, my parents, oh. my brother, tons of cousins. I had season tickets for two years back in 05 when we got undefeated. I went to the title game against Oregon. But I, I'm in Montana. I'm a Montana <laughs> alumni, but my my roots are down there in Chambers County, which is right, right there around the corner. So so back to you. War Eagle. War Eagle. Back to the question that I was teeing up ever so, uh, <laughs> so weirdly, I guess. But um, 
tell us a little bit about the, you know, in, in layman's term or Reader's Digest version about the presentation you gave us during the during the longitudinal site call in regards to what what you found out about anger, you know, the scientific portion, and then we can talk in, you know, uh, layman's term, so to speak. Perfect. Okay. And if I start boring you, you guys can just throw something at me. Um, but it's really important to think about anger as an emotion. So anger is the way someone feels. What often gets people in trouble is aggression, which is the behavior that's often associated with anger. And so um, people use these terms interchangeably, but they're actually different because oftentimes we can reduce that aggressive behavior in treatment and the anger stays the same, but that's still a beneficial thing for our veterans. So what we did with the Limbic Sensi cohort is that we wanted to look at um, the risk factors for anger, and we wanted to do it in a very specific way. Oftentimes, when people in the scientific field look at anger, they look at one risk factor at a time. So they look at PTSD being related to anger. They look at history of mild traumatic brain injury being related to anger. They look at chronic pain being related to anger. And all of these things have been shown to be related to anger. If you're in pain, you are often grouchy. If um, you have PTSD, anger is actually one of the primary symptoms of PTSD, especially in service members and first responders. So the literature has shown that all of these risk factors lead to anger, angrier people. Um, additionally, alcohol use is a strong predictor of anger and impaired sleep is a predictor of anger. So the field has shown that, and this makes sense. If you're not sleeping, you're likely to be grouchy. If you're drinking a whole bunch, you're likely to express that anger and to express aggression. Um, and, uh, traumatic brain injury as the caregiver, the last session was talking about, um, can change one's personality, especially the frontal lobe injury. And this can lead to anger and aggression, um, even after the acute phase. So we talk about the acute phase when people are still healing, um, and then in the chronic phase, when people, a lot of the recoveries happened with the brain, but they still may have these lingering effects. So we know that a lot of things can make us angry. Service members and veterans, unfortunately, have higher levels of anger than civilians, even if you match them for the same age, the demographics, and the same injuries. Service members and veterans are angrier than civilians. And um, I have theories about this. I think the military actually uses anger and aggression in a very adaptive ways. So that's the thing we have to be very mindful of is that anger is a good emotion. It energizes you. It makes you feel powerful. You overcome obstacles. You need it not to be a doormat and not to be taken advantage of. Aggression, targeted aggression when it has um, a purpose and you uh, direct it at um, the right target, um, that is very adaptive. We need warriors in our culture. That is the purpose of our military. So you want to be very careful. Anger and aggression are not bad. They just need to be used in the right environment. What generally happens with our service members is that they can use it, anger and aggression really well while active duty. And then they transition out and turns out that same emotion and behavior is not as helpful at home. When you are screaming at your kids, when you're screaming at your spouse, it tends to be very devastating. When you are screaming at your boss, it tends to have a lot of negative consequences. And so we do this beautiful job of conditioning people to use anger and aggression 
and adaptive ways in the service. And then we release people and say, all right, go, go have fun and have your second life now that you're out of the service, but we don't teach them what to do with this emotion that's been so dominant and this behavior that's worked really well for them. And it leads to a lot of problems. And we, one of my research goals is to help people deal with that in more effective ways. Any comments about that before I move on to what I did in the project? No, no, it's, it's interesting, you know, what you point out, and you're absolutely right. Sometimes when you're, you know, in a bad way and the plan's going south, you know, the only way to get out of it is to get angry and, and, and you just forget the term, but get mean and get mean quick. Yeah. It's the only way you're going to get out. But, you know, two two things come with that and you, you kind of hit on them. You know, one is the, is you can't turn it off. I mean, there's not, there's not a switch, you know, and I know that maybe that's the perfect world. You know, it's almost kind of, coming home with your problems and leaving them in a suitcase on the front porch and then picking them up on the way out the door you can't you can't really do that you know but one of the side effects i think of, of the anger is, is also and this is a tough one i'd be curious to is your, hear your comments on it is sort of the threshold so what i mean by that is you know coming out of, and i was a former infantry officer so coming coming out of my environment i have a very low threshold for nonsense if that makes if that makes any sense no no pun intended and, you know, is that a good thing? Uh, you know, I don't know. It depends on who, on who you ask. My wife, maybe not so much. You know, my friends, <laughs> you know, who knows? But but because you're having to deal, you know, with that anger and turn it on, turn it off, you know, and, and it's tough. You also, as a secondary or byproduct, have a low threshold or, or lack of tolerance for nonsensical. And I'll let you fill in, you know, the, the next word on that. Um, thoughts on that? Absolutely. So this is really important. I think what you're getting at here is that the environment really matters. So if you are active duty and if you are in charge of people, having that anger, having um, that low tolerance for BS um, or whatever term you want to use is really helpful and adaptive and it works really well. The problem comes in is that when you come home and your wife just asks you to take out the trash and there's this big explosion. So it's no longer appropriate to the environment. And that's what guys are real and women. Um, we like to think that anger is a male problem. It's not. If you look at the animal kingdom, if you look at humans, men and women tend to have similar rates of anger. Uh, but men are allowed to express it and women generally are not. And so it comes out in different ways. Um, but Anger is so helpful. The environment matters. And that's what you're talking about in terms of when people get out of the service, the environment changes. What is allowed, the cultural norms of expression of anger changes. And so we really have to help people identify their triggers for anger and aggression. Um, maybe bring down that threshold so um, you're not so easily triggered. And that's where some of these comorbidities come in. If you have PTSD, um, anger can come out when you are scared. And I know service members don't like that word scared or fear, but if you are a mammal, you have fear and that's healthy as well, just like anger is. And when you were scared or fearful, what men tend to do in our culture is instead of expressing that fear, it comes out as anger. So not only do you have regular anger, you are kind of suppressing other emotions that are healthy. Um, when they come up, because those emotions aren't accepted for men, fear is not an acceptable emotion for men, or anger is not acceptable for women. So these cultural factors kind of play into how we express it. Um, if one of the things that's interesting, um, and you talked about a little bit about this, is that combat exposures is related to anger. 
and it's a dose response relationship. And what I mean by that is that if you look at people and their number of deployments, each deployment is related to greater, greater levels of anger. So like I, I come from a military family, so all the men in my family are military. Um, and I watched this with one of my siblings as he came home, his multiple tours in Afghanistan and Iraq. So he enlisted um, right before 9-11. And you could see the anger just build for each deployment and like the behavior continuing to come home. And that's what you find in the data is that the more combat exposure, the angrier the person becomes. And so what do we do about this? is I think my question, like, what do we do? How do we help our service members transition from um, using something that worked well while active to coming home and being able to transition out and have productive lives and healthy relationships outside of it? And so that was one of the goals of this paper. What we did, and um, and I, just interrupt me um, because I can talk forever. I was, was going to ask you a quick question. So it almost seems like, uh, we're talking fight or flight. Yes, absolutely. And yeah. since the military does not normally have the option of flight, uh, yes. our, our fight button is our default, which which works well in combat and works well for the majority of what we do until we come home. And yes. that, that, you know, I would like to say that I think my wife expresses anger much more often than I do, but that's probably my fault. Um, you know, because I'm the one causing the anger uh, with, with either not taking the trash or ch changing out the cat box or whatever it is. So, I mean, what is it? How can we reprogram? How can we, uh, you know, smooth out the fight part and massage the flight part? And that's one thing. And the other thing, before I forget it, is does this also have to do with age? Because we all know the grumpy old man out front, get off my lawn or... You know, the, the stuff that my dad would say in line at the grocery store, I would never imagine until, guess what, I was saying it a couple of weeks ago because I'm closer to what his age was. And so is part of this age because we just don't give a darn anymore or we don't, we don't necessarily care how people view us as much as when we're in that social realm? I mean, there's there's so many different angles we could take this. So, you know, what's interesting, Kevin, is that age is actually related to slight increases in agreeableness. So most people, as they age, become slightly um, more likely to attend to others' feelings and to get along um, rather than in our younger days when we're much more likely to fight. So I actually don't think it's related oh. to age. Yeah, well, I think I <laughs> um, on average, on average. Gotcha. Um, and so... And I want to point out one other thing. You said my wife expresses anger more than I do. And that may be my fault. Um, so one of the things we work on in treatment is that your emotions are your own. It does not matter what someone else, is, else does. If you have anger, that's on you. That is your responsibility to deal with it and your responsibility to deal with it appropriately. So when people say things like she made me so angry or he did X, Y, and Z. Part of treatment is like, hey, kiddo, and I say that jokingly, but like, hey, your emotions are yours. That's your responsibility. Um, it doesn't matter how the other person is behaving. It's on you to be able to regulate. So let's talk about what, like, what to do. Um, because I'm a PTSD clinician primarily. That's what I like to treat. And we actually looked at if you treat PTSD, does the anger go down? And this was an active duty service members. And what we found is that 
PTSD treatment, which is very powerful. It's hard, but it's a very, they are very powerful evidence-based psychotherapies that can help people reduce symptoms actually decreases anger in the moderate range. So that's really exciting because anger management reduces anger in the moderate range. So if you get PTSD treatment, you reduce your anger about as much as treatments that are designed specifically for anger. That's the good news. The bad news is that almost 80% of that sample continued to have clinical levels of anger, even though they reduced it. So I was really hoping we treat the PTSD, we can help these people with their anger. And that hasn't been the case. Um, it helps, but it doesn't fix the problem to the point where um, it's not a clinical need. So what we did with this study is said, okay, let's, let's look at this large, large sample and look at all the risk factors of anger. So we looked at PTSD symptoms. We looked at number of hit, uh, traumatic brain injuries. We looked at level of um, impairment from pain. We looked at alcohol use and we looked at impaired sleep in two ways. We looked at your sleep quality, so how you rate your sleep, but we also looked at sleep apnea risk. So sleep apnea is much more common than we once thought it was. And service members tend to have higher rates. I think it's because we actually um, study it a little bit more in service members. Additionally, if you are muscular, um, gravity doesn't care if it's fat or muscle, if you have a large neck that um, can increase your rates of sleep apnea because gravity is pushing it down and sleep apnea interrupts your sleep. So we put all of those variables in one model and we said, what, what's the strongest predictor of anger? And we found a couple things. Number of mild traumatic brain injuries was not related to anger. This is great news because there's no take backs on, um, traumatic brain injuries. After you get it, we can't do anything about it. So it was great news that this was not related to anger. Interestingly, sleep in those, those two ways that we measured it, they were also not related to anger after you accounted for these other factors. And so I was really kind of disappointed with this because as a clinician, I was hoping if we treat your sleep, maybe we can reduce your anger. Um, so what is this kind of combination that we need to help people reduce their anger? Uh, but sleep wasn't related after we put in things like PTSD symptoms. That was the strongest predictor of anger in our cohort, which we knew PTSD has been related to anger. It's a symptom of PTSD. Combat exposure also was related to anger. Even after you take out that variance or that um, how much PTSD contributes, pain interference was related to anger and al hazardous alcohol use. So if you are drinking enough where there are health consequences, you also have higher levels of anger. So what does that mean? It means a couple things. When we originally thought all of this stuff is related to anger, we have to treat all of it. That's not necessarily the case. The strongest predictor was PTSD symptoms um, and then alcohol use and pain. It kind of suggests that we need to do treatments that focus on all three of these comorbidities or these conditions rather than just cherry picking one treatment at a time and focusing on one condition at a time. The problem with that, to be perfectly honest, is that the treatments take a little while. People want these one session treatments that can just address everything. And that's just not realistic. It took a long time for people to become angry, to become aggressive. So thinking you're going to knock it out in one session is unrealistic. It takes work to freaking change your behavior. And we know that. Um, 
my, I have a different study, not related to limbic sensi, but we are teaching people how to regulate their emotions to reduce their aggression. So we're testing if we can teach people how to identify their emotions, how to label them, because unfortunately in our culture, we don't teach men the different emotions. We teach them anger. Um, and then we kind of say, all right, go fend for yourself. Don't be sad. Don't be fearful. Don't be all these other things that are really important. Um, so if we teach people how to label and then manage them in appropriate ways for your current environment, can we decrease their aggression? So we're testing that now in a randomized control trial, which means a bunch of people, they get two treatments and we're testing the treatments against each other. Um, because what we're doing now, cherry picking one treatment at a time is not enough to help people reduce anger. You know, you, you revisit a comment you made earlier about, you know, the environment. Yes. You know, in, you know, I remember the days of stop loss. Nobody was happy, you know, and it wasn't necessarily that you were turning and going again. It was just, you were being involuntarily extended and there was nothing you could do about it. So there's that feeling of, shall we say, helplessness. Yes. And then let's say when you when you leave service, um, you know, when you and you you integrate back into, you know, Fort Living Rooms, the term we used to use for it. But you have you have bills to pay. You have you know, you have obligations. So now you have uncertainty yes. know, that, that I think can contribute. And then it's sort of a third facet is an example. I went I went back to college. You know, I just finished with a Ph.D. actually not long ago. Congrats. And that is a well, thank you. Thank you. It's uh, it's in the rearview mirror. Put it <laughs> but you have, you know, dealing with with academia in a very, very different, if not openly hostile environment to to someone of, of my background coming back. And then, you know, with that, you know, it's not necessarily uncertainty, but it lack of acceptance, if you will. So a lot of these these factors can, can contribute. So you know, while you, you rightfully pointed out, you know, PTSD, you know, TBI, and then all these variables which have overlap, and then sometimes they don't, and you can't cherry pick, it's tough, but it's almost like an, an amalgamation of issues. And then you toss in, you know, others, shall we say, social determinants of health. You know, when you go back to the, to the drinking or substance use, or, and, and I'm always a firm believer in, in mind, body, spirits, or, you know, you, you're exercising yes. a regular basis, or you eating correctly, do you have certain social engagements, you know, that you, yeah, fun in the army. I mean, I, I would never cuss so much and laugh so much, you know, back, back, back to back. And that's why I switched jobs back then because I wasn't laughing anymore. You know, but uh, speak briefly to maybe some of those, or I don't want to call them tertiary or quaternary aspects of anger, but but things that can definitely affect an individual, you know, and, yes. and their family. Absolutely. So, and again, my other treatment, um, working on emotion regulation is all about this because what you said were different experiences, but you also had different emotions. So, um, uncertainty of what you're going to do when you transition out, like this lack of social acceptance or feeling like you're still part of a group. Um, that's that loneliness, um, that anger, when you're not accepted or other things are happening, the fear of having to pay your bills, so all of those are different emotional experiences from different situations. And we actually, we did another paper that we looked at for people who successfully completed PTSD treatment. Do the hyperarousal symptoms, and I'm going to define what that is, actually go down at the same level? Because what you're describing often goes along um, with hyperarousal symptoms. So for PTSD, there are four clusters of symptoms. Hyperarousal means you are on guard, on edge. Um, you have anger and aggression, 
you have sleep problems, concentration problems, and you may be taking more risk than needed. So drinking, drugging, and risking risky sex, sexual behavior. So those are called hyperarousal symptoms. What we find is that even if people respond, now people, I mean service members and veterans, respond perfectly to treatment, those symptoms tend to stay high. So it is something about this cluster of symptoms. And I actually think that this is the core across these experiences. So it's not just PTSD, but I think it has to do with substance use, hyperarousal, those hyperarousal symptoms. So the sleep problems, um, the anger and aggression, the concentration problems are also found in substance use. And so if those symptoms are staying high, we have to find a different way to treat them. And again, my theory is we need to teach emotion regulation, um, but there could be other ways to do that as well. I don't know if I answered your question or just talked a little bit. <laughs> no, no, and you you elaborated you know on it on it nicely. There's just I think sometimes in the, in the world of research, you know, we, you, well, yeah, I would say in the world of research, there, there there's targets you know that you hit, but I think there's just a lot of space between those gaps or those gaps between those 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 pegs if you will where there there are a lot of these confounding issues you know as i said uncertainty um yes you know helplessness you know you you feel like the you know, carrying the world you know you get bills to pay you know and, and things like that and those you know i i would assume obviously will contribute you know to to other things but no no it was a nice uh nice follow-up kevin yeah, so we are, I mean, time has flown by, so this is probably going to be maybe one of the last questions, and it kind of brings us full circle when, when we're talking to Karen um, and the caregiver group. What would be, if, if you had one piece of advice uh, for having studied anger, studied triggers, studied all this stuff, and what one piece of advice could you give to a caregiver without you know, obviously, well, you need to get him in for treatment or her in for treatment. Um, but before that happens, what would be the one piece of advice that you would give to a caregiver or spouse and uh, how to deal with anger Absolutely. from their partner? And so I think you hit on the good part or one of the um, the easy ones, get your veteran in for treatment, right? And it may not be one treatment fixes everything. It's not going to be, let's be realistic, right? It's not going to be one treatment and your veteran feels better. Um, there may have to be multiple rounds of treatment. There may have to be treatment for different types of problems. So PTSD versus substance use. So it, it's not going to be like a one and done. So people need to get that out of their head. Um, first, it's a journey. Recovery is a journey. But second, if you are a caregiver, this is the advice I also give clinicians. When someone is angry or aggressive toward you, that elicits a response from you. Um, oftentimes, it will elicit anger back or aggression back, and that is unproductive. And so you have to be able to deal with your own emotional responses, too. If that's you getting in treatment, if that's you doing meditation, if that's you working out, if it's the basic self-care that Char was talking about of taking um, your health as a priority is really, really important. And if your health is a priority, it makes dealing with other people easier. If you're eating at regular intervals, this is basic stuff that people are really bad at, exercising, eating, um, sleeping. And it's a lot easier to say, oh, get some good sleep. Well, it may be harder if you have a sleep disorder or if you have insomnia or stress. But those basic things 
are pivotal in terms of being able to deal with other people in general. And then if you have a loved one, service member or not, that is dealing with psychological challenges, you um, finding a way to get your voice heard, if that's through friends or psychotherapy or a support group, whatever it is, that's really important. What happens oftentimes is that loved ones take um, a backseat to everything else, which makes Um, It doesn't help the service member. You think you're being selfless by not taking care of yourself. It actually doesn't help because you're kind of degrading at the same time is that your service member needs help. And then both of you are in a bad spot. Um, So whatever that self-care is, you have to do it. Because if you're not, when someone's angry or aggressive towards you, it is too easy to have that splash, as we call with kids. Um, So I have young kids. Aggression is part of the stuff we have to teach them to manage. And young kids are looking for a splash, so emotional outbursts. Adults are the same way. If you are feeling out of control and angry and aggressive, you want that from other people as well because it feels like it's normal and your response is appropriate. So you have to watch your splash. You have to watch your emotional intensity too. No, that's a really, that's a really interesting point. I mean, I, I remember the old days of the army, when the old NBC training. And I think Kevin will remember this when you got to put on your mask first before you assist someone else with theirs. Yes. <laughs> yes. If yours isn't in place. You're going to, you're not going to be able to help anyone else. That's for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that brings us to the end of our allotted time for today. Um, it was really nice actually speaking with you uh, and just kind of hearing the, the take on it. Um, yeah, and it was a really nice follow-up actually, as, as Kevin pointed out for our last one. So Dr. Miles, we we wish you the best. Um, and make sure you put some orange and blue behind that War Eagle, that Auburn thing back there. Kevin, Kevin always has it against Auburn. He played against them a long time ago in college and baseball. And I just don't think it was a good experience. I don't, I don't know. I think he Did we win? Did we beat you so badly? Is that what happened? I, I, I scored from second base on Bo Jackson. <gasps> so there are not a whole lot of people. You did not. Yes, I did. He was surprised that the coach sent me and he threw the ball halfway up the backstop. So surprise always works. Uh, and that's that's one of the elements of war as well. <laughs> Baseball and war. Oh, yeah. We let him talk about it on the show. It lets out the aggression and the feelings. You know, that, <laughs> label Wait. them. Label them, Kevin. Those emotions. <laughs> <laughs> we, we won't keep you any longer. Hey, thank you for being on the show. We really enjoyed the conversation. Um, and best of best of luck in your in your research and your study. And thank you, you know, for for working with with veteran and caregiver populations and, and addressing this issue and, and making the world a better place for them. We really, really appreciate that and can't thank, can't thank you enough. Thank you. So, so ladies it. and gentlemen, that brings us to the end of our show. Uh, thanks for tuning in and hopefully we will be on the air here soon with another guest and another subject where we try to take research and make it understandable and easy. So my best to uh, Kevin and Ron in the top up or Ron in the box up top. Thank you all, and we'll see you next uh, next show. Take care. Thank you to Shannon Miles for joining Char Gatlin and Kevin Sickinger today on the Abstract Veterans Podcast. For more information, please visit limbic-cenc.org. The Abstract Veterans is produced by The Abstract Athlete. For more information, please visit theabstractathlete.com. And as always, follow us on all of our social media platforms under The Abstract Veterans, The Abstract Doctors, and The Abstract Athlete. See you soon with our next episode.